I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. On this episode of Newt's World, with Memorial Day coming up this Monday, I wanted to spend time and devote an episode to a veteran who's really making a difference, Lieutenant Colonel Dan Rooney. Dan was commissioned as an officer in the U.S. Air Force in 2000 a career fighter pilot, and a two-time recipient of the Top Gun Award. As an F-16 fighter pilot, he completed three combat tours in Iraq. In 2007, he started the nonprofit Folds of Honor above his garage with the mission to provide educational scholarships to spouses or children of wounded or killed military service members. In 13 years, Folds of Honor has provided over 29,000 life-changing scholarships totaling $145 million. Let me just say, Dan is a guy who likes achieving because he's also a Class A member of the PGA of America and he's found a wonderful way to bring his passions together. He partners with the PGA and USGA to host Patriot Golf Day and Memorial Day weekend, the Folds of Honor's largest national golf fundraiser. So I'm really pleased to welcome my guest, Lieutenant Colonel Dan Rooney. Colonel Rooney, let me just say, first of all, thank you for your service to America and all the many things you've done to make America a better place. Well, I'm blessed to be here with you as we head into Memorial Day. Thank you very much for sharing our story. Well, I should say, by the way, you also have a show on Fox Nation, Fly Into the Wind, where you travel across America flying your own plane to interview athletes and celebrities. And I understand you have a book out now by the same title, 
fly into the wind, how to harness faith and fearlessness on your ascent to greatness. I should ask you just for a second, what is your personal plane? I fly an SR-22, so a Cirrus, which was you know just on the news the other day in Colorado, and they had a mid-air, and the Cirrus is unique because it actually has a built-in parachute. And I always said, as a you know, twenty-one years flying fighter jets, I always like to have a Plan B. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, the Plan right. B in the fighter jet world is we give it back to the taxpayers, but we got an ejection seat. And I would never fly um, private aircraft before Cirrus came out with this plane because there's really no option over a populated area outside of dead sticking, and that's not a good Plan B. Anytime those generally do not end well. And this parachute now, I think it's saved almost 200 lives. And literally, if your engine quits or you have a midair like they did in Colorado, you can pull this handle over your head and this giant parachute blows ballistically out of the spine of the aircraft and it floats down and literally, you know, sits down like a butterfly with sore feet. So it's an awesome plane. Let me get this straight. This is an airplane parachute, not a person parachute. It is. It's the whole airplane. It's a chute that's big enough to land the whole airplane. And one of the famous people, let's say, was the CEO of Walmart, I think three years ago, flying out of Bentonville, and his engine quit. He pulls the chute, lands right in the middle of an intersection in Bentonville, Arkansas, and gets out of the plane and walks away. I mean, it's amazing technology. That is remarkable. I have to tell my wife, although I think her attitude will be, if I have to be in a plane which has to have a parachute, maybe I'll drive. <laughs> well, it's still much safer. We know the statistics. Driving is a dangerous place. Now, parallel, and I have to say, I'm not a pilot, but even worse, I'm a really bad golfer. So I feel kind of intimidated talking to you. But I'm curious, you started golfing at the age of five, and your dad cut down a five-wood, a five-iron wedge, and a putter to your size? What got you so involved that at five years of age, you're getting your own personal set of clubs? Yeah, well, I had two older sisters. So that was my biggest motivation was to get out of the house and go with my dad someplace. And his place was the golf course. And he had one rule I couldn't fall behind. And he dragged me out there with his cronies to play golf at our little Stillwater Country Club, which would only be a country club in Stillwater, Oklahoma. It was not a luxurious place by any means. And, you know, I fell in love with the game as a result. But my initial motivation was just to tag along with my dad and get away from my two older sisters that, you know, harassed me incessantly. That's wild. So here you are at five years of age. And then, as I understand it, by the time you got to be 10, your parents would just drop you off in the morning and come back and get you in the evening, and you just go off all day. Yeah, a very cheap babysitter. <laughs> That's wild. Now, you then, at 12 years of age, actually began to earn a little bit of money out of this hobby. How did that happen? Yeah, my first job, you know, it's interesting in this country as we look at people being paid to stay home, <laughs> right? Some people love to work. And I think it's just innate in human beings. And I love to work. And I was a little guy. And first time I could get my job, I was 12 years old. And I was the range rat. So washing golf clubs, picking up range balls, making four bucks an hour. And I was a stingy little dude. I'd saved like 14,000 bucks by the time I was 16 and bought a Honda Prelude. And it was like that was the American dream. You work, you save, you buy. 
And, you know, I've never stopped working. I love working every day. Yeah, I think when we did the welfare reform in 96, the biggest impact was shifting the bias away from dependency towards getting a job. And it had just a huge impact. And welfare offices shifted from trying to figure out how to get you more money for doing nothing to trying to figure out how to help you get a job. So I believe very deeply that the work ethic is a key part of being American. But while you're out here earning some money, getting ready to buy that Honda and golfing, you also decided on a very different future, which is to be a fighter pilot, which as I understand, by the time you were 12, you really want to become a fighter pilot. Yeah, so I call them moments of synchronicity or chance with a purpose. So I'm on the golf course. I meet my first fighter pilot when I was 12. His name's Steve Courtright. Reno is his call sign. And the visual, this guy walked straight out of the right stuff. I mean, just chiseled like the prototypical fighter pilot. And I'll never forget, I was, you know, it was a couple days later and I am playing golf with my dad. And I'm like, dad, I know what I want to do with my life. I want to be a golf pro and a fighter pilot. And his question to me was very interesting when he responded. He said, son, can you tell me which way an airplane takes off? And I'm 12, right? So I'm like, well, I think it's into the wind. He said, that's exactly right. You know, and the beauty of that metaphor, if you call it that, is that there was going to be great resistance and headwinds and challenges for this 12-year-old kid to put together these two very unlikely dreams, whatever it's worth. You know, I'm a rare bird only guy in the world to be a golf pro and a fighter pilot. But I had no idea how ultimately God would combine those to send me on a trajectory that I would have never imagined and that, you know, that I would get to realize both of those dreams and still get to do both of those things, combining my passions of golf and flying fast jets. So thanks, Steve Courtright, who went on to be a two-star general, by the way, and is still one of my closest friends at 80 years old. We just celebrated his 80th birthday. That's great. I mean, I think sometimes people like Steve have no idea the impact they're having just by the act of living. I mean, that you know, he, he wasn't out there recruiting you. He was just out there being who he was. And that recruited you. Yeah, I could not agree more. Living life and setting an example of the right way to live. I'm curious because apparently Top Gun also had an impact. As you said, there's a synchronicity where things seem to occur randomly, but in fact reinforce each other. So you're meeting Steve. You're talking with your parents about flying, and you go see Top Gun several times. Now, I'm curious from this standpoint, since you now have been a professional fighter pilot, when you look back on it, how do you react to the original Top Gun? Every time I, you know, surf in cable TV and it's on, I still watch. <laughs> I think I'm like most people, right? Absolutely love the movie. I'm super excited about Top Gun 2 coming out which has been delayed multiple times by COVID. But I tell my five daughters, you know, your dad's getting ready to be cool again because the world's going to fall in love with fighter pilots. <laughs> but I love it. And yeah, I mean, part of it's obviously corny, but the whole swagger in the movie, they do a great job at, you know, capturing that. And the flying is, you know, for that time, really cool. And Obviously, there's a bunch of Hollywood stuff that isn't reality. So did it affect you as an Air Force guy that this is all based on an aircraft carrier? No, I just was fascinated, you know, as a small town Oklahoma kid to think that you could fly one of these machines. 
And I've always been in love with machines. I don't care if it's, you know, fast cars or fast jets or, you know, I've just been enthralled with machines since I was a little kid. And this was the pinnacle of machines, the fighter jet. Well, I served with Duke Cunningham, who was the model for the role in Top Gun. And it was exactly what you're talking about. Fighter pilots are a different breed, and they have to have an edge to them, or they can't compete. I mean, they're up against people who are eager to win no matter what. So when you tell your parents, I'm going to become a golf pro and a fighter pilot, which for most families is an unusual conversation, what was their reaction? You know, I've talked about my dad, and, you know, he was always supportive but very pragmatic, right? which is a lost art in the world we live in. There was always this built-in accountability in my house. And it was like, hey, you can do that. Just know it's going to be really hard. You're going to face great resistance and challenges. But we were Catholic growing up, and we always had this term reckless faith in my house. And I love that term, right? It's like, man, we are here and gone so quickly and have no regrets. And the only regret that you know I would have had if I didn't try and they were always there to support me trying whatever it was in my life. And they also didn't allow me not to fail, which is a big issue with kids now. They let me fall down and and then they pick me up and, you know, dust me off and say, hey, we're here for you. Let's get back in the fight and do it again. So part of your background was the impact of your grandfather who had served in World War II. How did that affect you? He was the first you know, guy I knew. And I think it's something that ties together these people that want to put the uniform on in our country. And I looked at, you know, he was a colonel, so he was a full bird, so he still outranks me. But these pictures of him in World War II and, you know, kind of the glamour and the reverence around that great generation and those timeless photos that we all know and admire. Thank God for that generation in this country. And I felt called to serve. And I think, you know, for me, it was being part of something bigger than yourself and joining this small group of people that's less than a half a percent of the country now that wake up every day and are willing to die for our our freedoms and all the beauty and imperfections in this country. And I am in love with it. Hopefully, I'm not going to have to stop serving anytime soon. And as I've gotten down the road, you know, 21 years looking in the rearview mirror, The people that serve in the military are my favorite thing. And I never thought I'd say that as a fighter pilot, loving flying as much as I do. But as you get older, I think you really understand the importance of relationships. And the people that serve in this country are just some of the best. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. I'm 
I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. As a kid from Oklahoma, while you were thinking about and developing your approach to flying, you also, after college, went to Florida and hit the mini tour circuit playing professional golf. And then you use the money from the tournaments to save up for pilot lessons. So in a sense, your golf career was funding your Air Force career. Yeah, well, 100%, because you had to have a private pilot license to apply for the training program in the Air Force. And I didn't have that money. And so I literally used golf to make enough money to get my private pilot's license. I was living with my grandparents in Florida, and golf was very instrumental in getting me to pilot training. I didn't realize that only 4.8% of the pilots will complete the kind of pilot training program you went through, and apparently more people will play in the NFL than will fly a fighter jet. There aren't many of us, and the program is two and a half years long to become a fighter pilot. And of that group, it's about 5% that will actually successfully complete it. And it doesn't mean you don't finish the program, but it means to be in a cockpit, combat ready in a fighter jet. So lots of guys will go fly transports and bombers and helicopters and, you know, all the other things that the Air Force flies. And the other thing is, you know, they're spending 6 to $7 million per pilot training us to go through that program. And I basically had, you know, 45 hours of flight time. So to say I was green is an understatement and really struggled at the beginning, but got better as I went along. And I'd love to share that like the two most impactful lessons I learned during that two and a half years, the first one at which I've never stopped is the power of prayer. So when I walked in that class and there were 45 other people and I realized that you know, every one of them is probably smarter than I am. I was like, I can't do this by myself. I started getting up 30 minutes early every day and getting into the Bible and praying. I've never stopped that in 21 years. 
And the other lesson was when I got to the F-16, you only get four rides with an instructor and your fifth ride is solo. And if you're not ready for that fifth ride, you wash out of the program. And I'll never forget sitting in the cockpit of an F-16, which is, you know, a $45 million fighter jet and going off by myself flying this thing for an hour. You have an instructor that's in a chase ship by you, so he's flying a different airplane next to you. But ultimately, it's up to you, your takeoffs and landings. And when I landed and I climbed down the ladder at Luke Air Force Base, this epiphany hit me, Newt, and it's go before you're ready. And... I really think that you look at greatness in this world and the DNA that ties it together, it's just a group of people that go before they're ready, right? You're never going to have it all figured out, planned out. And that changed me for the rest of my life. And it's almost like the crazier the idea, the more eager I am to go. And I also think it's the ultimate nod to the good Lord that you have faith that, hey, you're not in control anyway. But when something is on your heart, go before you're ready and great things happen. I think that's probably right. I think about people like Steve Jobs who intuited what he was going to do but had no proof and who actually got fired from the company he invented. And then they got in trouble and he got brought back and he invented a whole different series of products than anything they'd been thinking of. And I think it was that willingness to keep gambling and keep risking that made him remarkable. I know you probably have a great go-before-you're-ready story. If all you've accomplished in your career, there has to be a... I think you could say whether it's running for Congress, being Speaker of the House, doing podcasts, everything I do is sort of an aim-fire-ready, where you go back and you look afterwards and say, gee, what did I learn from that? Yeah, but what a beautiful way to live our short journey together, huh? Yeah, well, I think there are people who get such an adrenaline rush out of just being alive that they operate at a different plane than a lot of other people who don't really understand what it was all about. It's a little bit of what Theodore Roosevelt meant in that famous paragraph about the man in the arena, that the person who's actually there doing it, getting dirty, getting sweaty, has an experience that the bystander will never fully understand. I think that's right, and I think your life fits that. Just a couple quick examples of what you just chat about for a second. You go to Iraq, and while you're doing that, you're very careful. Everything works pretty well. But then you come home, and you sort of psychologically let your guard down a little bit, and you almost kill yourself. Can you explain that? Yeah, so I was over there in 2008, and it was crazy. I mean, Fallujah, Ramadi, flying night missions was at the absolute peak of my flying career. The spear had never been sharper And every day and every night, it was life and death. And I make it home unscathed, come back for a routine training mission. It's my second mission back, and we're taken off. And the F-16, it has so much thrust that, you know, you'll go from zero to about 200 miles an hour in, you know, four or five seconds. And then you go from 200 to 300 in about a second and a half. And once you hit 300, unless your gear and your flaps are up, you'll actually overspeed them, the op limits. And so there's a very narrow window which to raise your gear, not to get in the weeds, but I raise my gear a fraction of a second early. 
and the jet actually settles back down onto the runway and on top of a 370 gallon fuel tank that's on the belly of my airplane and it's imperceptible to me and we come back and land and they refuel this jet and there's just a small drip of fuel coming out from below my airplane so i had scraped this fuel tank and the jets are all computerized so we actually pull the tapes on the jet and if it's a split second more i grind through this fuel tank and the jet explodes underneath me and you know only by god's grace not end up blowing up and you know ejecting or you know dying on that day and it really set a very challenging you know, eight or nine years in motion in my life that, you know, looking back, it was, you know, a trigger, obviously not responsible for all the struggles that I had gone through, but was just, you know, one of those moments in life. And I think for all of us, I mean, you are going to fail. Struggle and challenge is inevitable. Those seasons will enter your life. And, you know, what you do when life isn't going your way, I think is ultimately what's going to write your legacy. You know, it's interesting. Eddie Reckenbacher was the top American ace in World War I, shot down more Germans than any other American. And he said in his memoir that he had gotten sick and had to spend like 10 days in the hospital. And he was very frustrated. But as he began to recover, he refought all of his first seven or eight fights with the German aircraft. And he realized that in every single fight, the German could have won. And he thought through every mistake he had made. And he said, so when he came out of the hospital, he mentally had a model of how to dogfight with the aircraft of that generation that gave him an enormous superiority just because mentally he hadn't sat around wasting his time and griping, but he literally used the hospital bed as a place to rethink and replan every single engagement he'd been in. And it was a legend who ultimately founded the Indianapolis race and did a bunch of other things. And so I think it is useful to sometimes stop and look and go, you know, what do I learn out of that? Now, one of the things you talk about is an Air Force acronym, ACAVU, for Sealing and Visibility Unrestricted, which has become your own personal code of living. What is CAVU? Number one, it's the perfect day to go fly a fighter jet, those steel blue skies. And you know, like those days, I think our life is unlimited. Every day is a gift. And when I went through this period of struggle in my life, and so often, right, outcomes are out of our control and highly overrated, but you can always control your process. And so when I was in this period of challenge and I was, look at Proverbs 27, you know, iron sharpens iron, right? God was sharpening me during this time with a lot of humility and and some struggles mixed in there. But I was like, hey, I can create a mindset that every day is Cavu. And there are certain things that are within my control. And so this became a code of living for me. And there's 10 things that I do every single day without fail. And I looked at this and I said, regardless of the outcomes in life, what can I do on a daily basis to find fulfillment Happiness was, quite frankly, not attainable every day during the struggles and the challenges, but fulfillment is. And I think we place way too much value on trying to be happy in this world. 
Uh, that's not what God calls us to do. He calls us to use our time and talents to make good decisions, to become the best version of yourself, to help other people. And so Cavu became a code of living that I live by every day. And, you know, I'm double blessed on those days. It's Cavu out and you get to play golf or you get to fly a fighter jet. But every day is a gift. And, you know, the one thing I guarantee is that, you know, time is going to fly. I haven't figured that one out. It's going very quickly. And, you know, 10 years from now, you know, we'll wake up and be like, where did those last 10 years go? But the beauty of living by a code and living disciplined and living by a routine is you'll be able to answer that question. And I think inherently, if there's one thing fighter pilots are good at, it's prioritizing. You know, lots of information that we intake in the airplane. We got to figure out what's really important, what's not important. And that's really what CAVU is for me. It's like I look at life and we're inundated through this fire hose. Everybody's drinking through a fire hose of life. And you have to defend the sanctuary and the sanctity of what is important and prioritize that every day, or you'll find yourself just going with the whim of life. Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters— I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Well, you know, it's interesting. I do want to point out to our listeners that you cover Kavu in your book, Fly Into the Wind, which is on our show page. And I think it really is a useful outline 
of a positive way to think about the world. And I couldn't help but think when you were reflecting on the idea that you can look back over many years, one of the things that happens to people who have no motivation, no great desire for the future, no work ethic, is all too often they can't remember last night. It's really a remarkable difference in how people engage in life. Now, you have the Fox Nation show, Fly Into the Wind, where you fly across the country and you get real stories of success of influential figures. Let me say, first of all, I hope at some point the best of those are going to show up in a new book because I've always found that if you can have people who are successful at anything, I don't care what it's at, share with you their insights and their experiences, it just dramatically enriches the country. But what led you to decide to do this TV show? Because I think the common denominator in a world where everything is red or blue, it seems like you got to pick a side, is we all struggle, right? Everybody struggles. And my motivation was to find successful people that from the outside, you know, appear to have it all figured out. They're winning national championships. They're winning majors, they're winning Olympic medals, and I talk about these great things they've done, but the first question I ask them is, what was the moment in your life that you didn't know if you were going to make it to tomorrow? What is your greatest struggle? What is your fly-into-the-wind moment? And looking back, how do you understand now that God appointed that in your life And it was one of the greatest things that ever happened to you. And it was just, you know, fascinating to listen to, you know, an Urban Meyer or a Herschel Walker or a Dara Torres or a Greg Norman talk about their most challenging times. And that gives people hope, right? If the greatest of the great go through struggles, it shines perspective on, you know, little old me that's going through these struggles and their life advice on how to get through those struggles was the beauty of the show. I think that's exactly right. And frankly, one of the great tragedies of our time is a dramatic increase in the rise of suicides, particularly among teenagers. And I think that's partly because parents protect them and try to get them to believe that you can go through life without pain. And then they finally hit something that they can't cope with Whereas, as you said earlier, your parents let you fall down and learn you can get back up. It's a totally different model. And I'm deeply opposed to safe spaces and to this whole notion of somehow coddling people until they then find themselves crushed by life. I think it's much better to teach people to be tough and to live a full life. Now, as an example of your remarkable activity and energy, you obviously are a person who has a great deal of energy. After your second tour in Iraq in 2007, you decided to start the Folds of Honor above your garage. What is your mission and why did you decide to start it? So go before you're ready. A perfect example. Another moment of synchronicity that was the trigger for that. I'd just gotten home, as you mentioned, from Iraq and was actually on a commercial airliner a few months later with Corporal Brock Buckland, who'd been killed, and his identical twin brother, Corporal Brad Buckland, had brought him home. And that night, when they removed Brock's remains from the cargo hold of this United Airlines flight. It was about midnight, and half the people got off the plane, despite the captain's request to sit in their seats. 
And, you know, it's hard for me, and I know you were an amazing patriot as well, Newt, but I was so disappointed to be an American at that moment, that this is what we had come to, and, you know, we sleep under the blanket of freedom that Brock Buckland gave his life for. And that was my inspiration. And a couple months later, my wife and I started a nonprofit, Folds of Honor, above our garage. And we wrote down on a piece of paper our mission, which we've never wavered from in 13 years, and that's to honor the sacrifice by educating the legacy, providing scholarships to spouses and children who've had someone killed or disabled. And, you know, it's a remarkable ministry. You mentioned in the intro, we've awarded now almost 30,000 scholarships, about $145 million out the door, taking care of these families and honoring the sacrifice that has been made. And it has grown. Certainly the game of golf, we've got Memorial Weekend here. Patriot Golf Day is our largest national fundraiser. So this weekend, We've got thousands of golf courses registered, and we ask people to go play golf and make a donation on their smart device at Folds of Honor to honor the sacrifice and help educate these families. And we'll raise over the weekend between 5 and $7 million just having golfers donate 5 or 10 bucks when they go out. It's a wonderful ministry. And one of the things I'll share with you as we look back at the craziness of this last year with the Black Lives Matter movement and this, you know, desire I think we all have for equality in the country is that 41% of the recipients at Folds of Honor are minorities. And that's about 13,000 minority families that we are or have sent to school. And I really believe that, you know, the only lasting bridge to equality in this country comes through education. So we've gone from simply a military nonprofit organization to a group that's, you know, way into the fight of this DNI movement in our country. But but we gotta find that the right way. Now how can listeners participate in Patriot Golf Day this weekend? It's easy. Go play your most heroic round. <laughs> go tee it up and get on your smartphone and go to foldsofhonor.org and make a donation. There are lots of courses that are signed up, but you don't have to go to a registered facility. If nothing else, I laugh. It's the greatest hall pass ever given to golfers in America to go out, play a round of golf. And golf is such a myopic sport, but this is the one round you get to play on behalf of others to say thank you to the half a percent of this country that wake up every day willing to die for our freedoms. And I don't think there's anything more heroic than taking care of someone's family. So people can explain that it's their patriotic duty to go and golf this weekend. What an easy way to serve your country, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, how can they get involved beyond Patriot Golf Day with Folds of Honor Foundation? There are lots of ways. Summer is big for us. Budweiser just came out. All their packaging turned red, white, and blue. That's another really easy way. They donate a dollar for every case sold in America. Back to Folds of Honor, we've got roundups going at Winn-Dixie. We're kicking that off in Jacksonville. But, you know, ultimately... It's about saying thank you. Thank you for our freedoms. And our website, Folds of Honor, you can join our squadron, which is 13 bucks a month. And 13 ties back to the number of folds that bring that American flag to that iconic triangle shape of freedom. And just hope and pray people will go out there and make a donation. And we promise that we'll pay that forward. We'll send about 6,000 families to school this year, Newt. 
but we've got several thousand families who are qualified that go unfunded. So please consider visiting foldsofhonor.org, share it with your family and friends, and make a donation to honor one of these families. We will have both Patriot Golf Day and Folds of Honor Foundation on our show page, along with a link so they can come and buy your book, Fly Into the Wind, How to Harness Faith and Fearlessness on Your Ascent to Greatness. I just want to thank you as a active patriot who gets up every day trying to help America survive and try to make sure that the next generation understands the importance of patriotism and the importance of activism. I think you've made an amazing contribution to the country in so many different ways. And I'm very grateful that you would take this time to be with us on what is for you a very busy week. Well, I appreciate that. The feelings are mutual. I've been a massive fan of yours for a long time. Your views on life, your views on politics, a life of service. And I hope and pray there are lots of people following in your footsteps because our country needs them more now than ever. Thank you very much, and I really appreciate you being with us. God bless this country, and have a great Memorial Day. Thank you to my guest, Lieutenant Colonel Dan Rooney. You can learn more about Folds of Honor and Patriot Golf Day on Memorial Day weekend on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcast and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 